Should you take that? Yeah. (laughs) I'm Allie Grant. And I'm just you. Welcome to Follow Me, your resource for all things influencer. Brought to you by B Social Group. Now, let's see who we're following this week. I'm beginning to believe that the creator economy is recession-proof because every time that there's a dip in consumer spending IRL, there seems to be an increase in advertising dollars for content creation work. So that was a really interesting inverse relationship to watch unfold during the pandemic. You had millions of people losing their job, but then you also had millions of people creating new jobs. Hey guys, welcome back to the Follow Me podcast. Allie here with Jess. All right, let's get into it. Jess, what are you hearing, seeing, or whatnot on the internet this week? What not? All the whatnots. This week, while Ali, you and I were speaking very briefly along with our guest, Cynthia, that we just had on about SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. And I think taking it back, I know this is obviously an influencer creator economy podcast, but obviously we talk about real world issues that affect the creator economy. I think always having your pulse on news current events is so important to what we do and what our jobs are. And I think with news like SVB, how I stay on the pulse of things as someone who is not an econ major, who is not all about politics girlies, I listen to a podcast called All In. It's with industry veterans. So there's four hosts and they are essentially Silicon Valley bros, but their past resumes are execs, Facebook, venture capitalists, but they really break down what's happening industry-wise in econ, in politics, in the tech world, and breaks it down in an easy way where it's very digestible. And I'm obsessed with them. They're so funny. And I learn so much on their podcast every episode. It's little tidbits. And I think that's what's important and kind of really relating news back to our real world lives. Yeah. Okay. Well, I need to listen to that because obviously, yes, this is all over the news. And like you said, you know, this podcast is not a financial podcast, but things like this, real world events, you know, affect the industry that we're in, the creator economy. And I think it's actually really interesting that we had Cynthia Ruff in the podcast today, who is someone who owns a tech startup in the creator economy, who said she had a phone call with SVB this week to set up an account. So I felt like that was very, very timely and not on purpose on our end. So she does speak a little bit about that when we interview her. So a little bit about Cynthia. Cynthia Ruff left her job pricing CEO's salaries to become a full-time micro-creator in 2018. She quickly realized that the way the creator economy prices works sucks. After her MBA at Georgia Tech, she set off to change that with hashtag PayMe. Hashtag PayMe is now the only tool that helps creators streamline their brand outreach process. In her app, creators can source brand contacts, price their work, and invoice brands in one place. The easiest way to go from pitch to pay. In this episode, we learn how to charge as an influencer and kind of what that looks like, how to get funding as a tech startup in the space. We also chat about the investor space for the creator economy, which is super interesting, and how to use our app and why you should download it. So let's get into this episode. 
I think it comes like at a very interesting time chatting with you, especially what's happening with tech and startups right now, as we're watching the news and watching CNN this morning and what's happening with Silicon Valley Bank. So I think we should just start there as someone who is an entrepreneur in this space and a tech startup yourself. What's going on? And how does this affect someone like you who started a startup in the creator economy? Every call that we've had with investors has just been like, oh, it's not a good time to raise. And, you know, going into this process, I've heard from everyone I've talked to saying it's never that investors will always say it's not a good time to raise. And then we had just incorporated our company and my husband has a startup too, but it's much further down the road. He's just finished his series A funding. And so I was asking him, I was like, well, should I open a bank with Silicon Valley Bank? Because that's what everyone in the tech industry does. Or should I do something else? Like, I kind of want to have something local here. And he's like, eh, he's like, we did, we explored with SVB, but we decided just to do Bank of America. He's like, you can just go set one up in like five minutes here. And so I was like, okay, great. Well, let's go do that. I just did Bank of America. And I was like, when we get down the path and have like actual investment, we'll go open up our SVB. And, you know, be like all the other tech bros in this industry. And we actually have a call with SVB this week <laughs> about finishing opening our account, but no one's canceled it yet. And I'm like, I think we just can count that meeting as canceled. Oh my gosh. That's very serendipitous, I think is the word. That's a little bit like eerie now. Like, oh, I just feel for everyone having to deal with that right now. Yeah, we have like vendors and clients that are that bank there. And I mean, luckily, it sounds like the government's stepping in and everyone can access their money as of today, Monday. But I've been like really tuned into that all weekend because I just have a lot of closeness to it. So I just really feel feel for anyone involved in that. But I guess let's let's move away from the negative bit and kind of chat through what are the first steps of even getting funding or starting that process? If someone has an idea, like what would you tell them is the first step? It's so hard. Fundraising is a totally different beast. I mean, I'm a content creator, so cold pitching feels sort of normal for me, but cold pitching to an investor, asking them to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars is a different ballgame in in its entirety. So really what you want to start to do is build a list of people who are relevant to your space and who invest in the amount that you want to go after. So we're doing a much smaller round right now and have built our list largely based off like our advisors and their connections. And our advisors have been our first investors, which getting that first check is the absolute hardest thing, but it is such a credibility booster to secure those other checks from people. And I mean, you could do an advisorship in many different ways. You could do a tech accelerator. You could have friends and family helping you out with that, those first few checks. Or if you are well-connected in the space itself, just getting someone to step up and give you like a $5,000 check is still a really like credible booster for securing those other partnerships and other starting those other conversations. Have you found it difficult to kind of educating traditional investors in investing into the creator economy? Or is everyone pretty much dialed in at this point? They have no clue. Um, really? I would say I the would majority... Like so hungry for it, like thirsty for it. But it's, I would, okay, it's interesting. They were thirsty in 2020 and 2021. So you would see a lot of these companies go out there with that were like free product, pre-user list, free like wait list, just go secure like $1.5 million. Most of them were men. But we spend about 10 minutes on every single pitch call 
explaining the problem because they're like, wait, how is this actually a problem? We don't know that this is actually a problem on both sides. And I was like, I have the data from the 200 conversations that we've had that say like, this is an absolute problem that we're trying to solve. And like, here's how it relates to the different industries and why like you can't use these tools for what content creators need to use these tools for. That's like so interesting to me, actually, that you have like what is probably like you're pitching to like a a board of men, right? (laughs) Like have no experience in the creator economy. And you have to basically convince them, A, there's this issue that your platform fixes, and that this is like a viable industry, which I hope they understand, because it's like the data is there that billions of dollars are spent in this industry. But that's interesting. So do you just start like create a deck, say on Canva, which like outlines what the product is, who your team is, who your advisors are. And then you just cold pitch. And like, how do you find people to even pitch your product to, to get money from? Yeah. So deck wise, there's a whole template. I'm sure there's probably at least 10 websites. If you go Google, like pitch deck formula or whatever, always want to start with like your market size, kind of what the problem is, how your product is the solution your team, why now, why it's important, and like how we can make an impact and a difference. And so yeah, I built that deck in Canva. And everyone was always like, oh, the design is so great. I'm like, perfect. Because, you know, hope to wow you with something with like our 90s ephemera that we include in our pitch deck. And then as far as finding investors go, again, it's I have gotten much better response rate from just introductions, even talking with other creator economy founders, especially female founders, because I'm very interested in finding female-led VCs to invest in us. And they also tend to get the creator economy a little bit more. I think they're tuned in on a, a little bit of a deeper level. And so if you need cold pitch outreach, you just go to Crunchbase and start searching through their database of like, this is the industry that I'm in. Here's the founding amount that we're raising. And here's the like diversity angles that I'm looking for to help you find a list of people to outreach to. Okay. Yeah. I've always seen Crunchbase and I I noticed it like lists angels, VCs, all of that stuff. What's the difference high level? Because I know this is like a bit complicated. There's angels and then there's VCs. So what is the difference between the two? Typically check size. So angels do a lot more, what we would call smaller checks. So it's like $100,000 and under. Whereas your venture capital firms will end up doing much larger rounds. They'll be lead investors. They're kind of like more flashy and have a much more institutional approach of like how their firm helps you. Whereas angels just are just like, here's my money. Love what you're doing. Want the return when it comes time to it. We're probably not going to be as involved as the venture capital firm. Okay. So VC is pretty like they have a heavy hand in the marketing choices, where you're using the money and kind of act as sort of a support to you. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So they'll do the most of the time they have internal teams that will help you with like go to market and globalization, legal, anything that like operationally, like anything that you need help with. There's typically a a venture fund that will have some sort of like angle that helps you meet the metrics that you need to meet because they're investing in you because they want you to succeed. So they have these other support systems internally to help you do that. Yeah. And they, you know, they have ownership in the company in theory, or they do technically. And how do you come up with the value of something that you've created? Is that pro talk about like hashtag pay me, like hashtag invest in me. And like, how much, how much money do I get in my product? Yeah. I'd love to hear the history behind the product too. So yeah, my, my background is in finance and 
learning about like startup math is what I call fairy math because it's not really based off of like actual logical flow most of the time. But in reality, there is kind of a method to the madness. So it's essentially like in this very early round, you kind of get to pick a number of what the company is valued at based off of the discount at which people can buy shares for the next round. So if you're raising like $100,000 right now, but you're giving them a 20% discount for the investment, meaning that at the next round that they can buy their shares at 20% cheaper with your next valuation, then your company is worth $2.5 million. So it's like this reverse division of discounted shares for the next valuation. And you get to essentially assign that value based off how much you're raising. How do you know when your company is ready for other investment? It's a totally personal choice. So I initially did not want to go after a traditional venture fund. I've bootstrapped every other company that I've built from the ground and kind of wanted to go that, down that path again. But my co-founder really wanted to do it. And I was like, you know, I've never done this in an actual setting. So let's go see what it's like. And I mean, it's just, you know, determining how much you need is like thinking about what you need to pay for in the next few months, like how long that runway is going to last, like how this money is going to help you get to that next growth metric. Like what is it that you need to do in the next 12 months that can help you build the business into something more substantial to hire better talent. So it's a very personal decision of, you know, how much you want to raise. And you have to give up equity, which is hard for a founder, right? It is, but it isn't. I mean, at the same time, it's like, you know, how long is it going to take us to get, you know, this $500,000, million in ARR versus like what we could do with that right now with the traction we have and how we could make a bigger impact for creators and the creator economy with that million dollars now. So you're like taking a loan out of your growth projection for the future. Wait, can we take it way, way back and just kind of get started on what you know about the creator economy, how you started in this and how you've realized that hashtag pay me is a real solution for creators? You know, I got my degree in finance, but I always wanted to be a journalist. I just went to school during the financial market crash of 2008. So my parents were like, please, God, go get like a technical skill. And so I worked in sales incentive design after college, worked and then transitioned into HR compensation consulting. But during that time, I had built my own blog on the side. And I was like, you know, this will stimulate my journalistic interest. I'll go use this to pitch for magazines, might get some magazine work or something. It became much more fun, started charging for work, realized that I could make this a business, left my consulting job because I was making six figures at the time as a creator to be a creator full time. How many followers did you have when you were making six figures? Well, I had like half a million blog readers per year. So that was like a big part of the follower or like the money trajectory. And then at the time, I only had 20,000 Instagram followers. Like I still have a very small social community now, which I prefer. I don't need like 400,000 followers. Yeah. And so during that time, I was at this critical point in my creator career where I was like, I cannot scale my business in a meaningful way to get to that next like revenue tier where I can have a bigger content aspiration, have a bigger digital channel without hiring more help. Couldn't hire more help because I couldn't get more brand deals because I needed a talent manager to help and like outsource that for me. They wouldn't look at me because I didn't have high enough vanity metrics. And I was like, hmm, what am I going to do here? Am I going to like plateau and just, you know, stay flat for whoever knows how long? But then I was like, let me see if I can go explore some pieces of 
my education that I haven't explored yet. Went back to get my master's degree at Georgia Tech in 2019. And it was during some classes in there where we got to explore, you know, like what it was building a product from zero and how we were going to solve a critical pain point based off of customer interviews that weren't actually just like, I have a hunch on this problem. Let's go build product. So it was that it was very serendipitous because like at this time, a friend had messaged me and she's like, hey, I'm launching a new brand. Like how much would you charge to rep it? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know. I've been in this industry for six years and I still have no clue what to charge. I don't know if it's too much. I don't know if it's too little. Like, I don't know if you're getting a good deal. So it was through that, that I was like, wait, why don't we just rebuild these corporate compensation tools I used in my career for the creator economy? And so that's how hashtag pay me really kind of got like its fledgling start. What year was that where you found that hashtag me, hashtag pay me? Yeah. So the first iteration, I started February of 2020 which we all know what came down the pipeline a month and a half later. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yikes. (laughs) And so, you know, at that point, I was like, and I was still in school. So I was very curious. I was like, is the creator economy going to collapse? Or is this going to actually like withstand the pandemic? And turns out that I'm beginning to believe that the creator economy is recession proof, because Every time that there's a dip in consumer spending IRL, there seems to be an increase in advertising dollars for content creation work. So that was a really interesting inverse relationship to watch unfold during the pandemic. You had millions of people losing their job, but then you also had millions of people creating new jobs as a content creator. And you had advertisers who were like, let's spend all of our money on like content creators to push products. Everyone's home shopping. Let's go and see what this is all about. Especially when production teams were out of office, obviously studios weren't available and content creators were kind of the only reliable source. Yeah, I mean, I think that was like a very tricky time for the creator economy. I think in in many ways there was like an uplift, but our company in particular, we saw like a, a pretty like rapid decline. And I think that was because a lot of our creators do a lot of in-person activation. So this was like right before basically our biggest months of the year, which are like festival related, Coachella, Stagecoach, a lot of like spring, summer stuff. And so it was like very, like it plummeted. Basically, we lost like all those contracts for all of like, what is our biggest years or months, sorry. April is usually like our biggest month and like the the creator spend, which is interesting. I don't know if that's like the same for like other companies. But I think what also came out of it though, is you're right. It's like all these people got to like become creators and make money that way. And you have like a new stream of income, which has been kind of a wild ride. And I feel like it's still, we're still on it, right? Like still every day, someone can just like go on TikTok and just like have millions of followers in a couple of months, which is so crazy. But it, which makes your product even more interesting because you're literally having creators become creators overnight. And it's like, how do you navigate? How do you charge for posts? What does that look like? We use this like method or math, whatever, fairy math, if you want to call it. For every million followers, we say like you can spend or or charge around $10,000 for a post and kind of like work that backwards. So if you're down to like 10,000 followers, you're charging say $100 per post, which is like a nice like starting point. But as you know, it's like such a wide range and it is truly the wild, wild west. So tech like yours is so interesting. So how does it work? 
Yeah. So hashtag pay me is what we like to call a live benchmarking tool, which is exactly how corporate world prices salaries. And so what makes up your content creator campaign pay, there's, you see like five iterations of things that go into it, which is like paid ad boosting, content ownership, exclusivity, the actual campaign itself. But really on the back end, there's like 58 different variables that account for this pay. And it has to do with a whole bunch of things like brand size, who's involved, experience, et cetera. And so what we do is like every piece of data that you submit to our platform that goes back into our data set. And we re-aggregate it against other buckets that are similar to future creators who are looking to get information and pricing on like parameters that are specific to their campaign. So we have three components of the job, which is like your reach and your niche and your experience. And that's like very much something that makes up like you and your uniqueness, which no one else can really replicate because that's all pertaining to like how you produce content. And then there's the parameters of the job. So that's who's hiring you, how long they want to do the campaign for, what the campaign consists of, all of the job things that make it much more of a complex job. And then we tell you based off of these parameters, you know, this is an acceptable price to send out to the brand for the work that you're doing. And so you can use that like price point. Does it give you a range or does it like you should charge $5,555 or is it like a range? <laughs> we, do, we show you the midpoint. I haven't done a range yet because explaining how ranges work in this world, I feel like the education piece has to really be there in like a very strong way and upfront. And I don't think we're there yet in the tool design. So we just show you the midpoint. So it's like, you know, if the brand is asked, if wants to pay you more than this, great, you win, like take their number. If they're asking you less, at least ask them to meet you at this rate. I think that's like a really great starting point, like you said, because it is the wild, wild west for creators, especially if you're not signed with a management company, or this is your first introduction into the creator space. And you just kind of woke up with a bunch of followers because the video decided to go viral on TikTok. But I also think Two, there are so many different factors that you have to understand. Is this a brand that you've been wanting to work with? Maybe I'll price my rates a little bit lower because it's like a L'Oreal and it's like a dream brand wish list. Or is it a brand where you're putting in a lot more in terms of content creation, of promise that you deliver to your followers? So there's just so many different factors. And I feel like a range, I agree, might be a little confusing to a creator that might already be confused on what to price. Exactly. And, you know, I see these kinds of comments and conversation starters happen all the time in like creator groups that are part of it. It's like, someone wants to whitelist my content. You know, what do I price for it? And I'm like, sign up for our tool. We'll just tell you immediately how much you should upcharge for this. And so even in the corporate world, I know there's that whole push to have like salary transparency and to show the range, which... I don't agree with because like it doesn't show you the actual midpoint of the job because each company is supposed to have a range that they pay 80 to either 120% or 110% of the midpoint. So you don't really know what the average is for that job. You could be lowballing yourself still from that from the midpoint, or you could be overcharging. And then when it comes time to get like a promotion in the future, you've run out of opportunities to like increase your rate. And you so you're stuck at like a certain compensation cap for years. So I really just think everyone should be posting the midpoint all the time. And that's just a personal philosophy. 
Yeah, it's interesting how they've done that. Like on LinkedIn, it'll be like they pay seventy-five to four hundred fifty thousand dollars for this role. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? How is that even helpful? No, totally. They're just trying to get around that rule, and so they're probably posting the whole national average instead of the geo dips involved. We could go down a whole transparent conversation on like how that works. If anyone's curious, you can email me about salary benchmarks in the corporate world. Yeah, I know that's super interesting. We have a tool we use. I forget the name of it for that, which basically takes like national averages and then like where you're located and level of experience. But it's kind of the same modeling as you had mentioned is using what the HR world uses and putting it into the creator economy. So, and I think what you mentioned earlier about like whitelisting and all of that, I think that's something that a lot of creators don't understand that might be managing themselves is like, sure, I have a fee for like putting a post up on my social, but there's so much money left on the table if you're not charging for exclusivity and usage and all of those things. So you mentioned that your tech like, you know, accounts for all of that allegedly. Yeah, yeah. So we have like broken down the costs of different willingness to pay for like other like different scenarios for these like increased asks of the job because like whitelisting, yes, well, it's great because it makes your sponsored content perform better. It also kind of is a double edged sword where it's like, oh, brands see that your face is partnering with Athleta, you're off the table for right now. Or it kind of instills like a little bit of FOMO and they're like, oh, well, I want to work with her. Like her face is everywhere. So it's like this two-sided problem. And then exclusivity is just a problem of, you know, now you can't work with anyone. So what does that mean for your compensation and what you're giving up by taking on this brand partnership that says like, you have an exclusivity clause of 45 days. Like, okay, well then I want to get 45 days of like prorated payment because I can't work with anyone else. People are undercharging massively if they're like not represented, don't have a talent manager or new to the space. So a tool like this is is truly so useful. How does someone use it? Do they have to pay to use it or is it a subscription? What does that look like? Yeah, so our base rate calculator is totally free. And that essentially takes our sponsor post calculator and just strips out all of the details of the job. So now it's just like me as a content creator, what can I comfortably charge and what does that look like? So we give you what we like to call like the best leg up for charging right off the bat because we're always showing you like real and relevant rates every single month. We refresh our calculator to make sure that you are seeing like at max what the creator economy is paying for like your level of content. And then if you wanted to get more granular and like you have a campaign to price and everything, then you can sign up for a paid membership, which is still very reasonable. On average, creators increase their base rate price by $525. We've had multiple people come back and say, I just 5x by rate thanks to your calculator. And it's like, great. You know, that's that's the whole reason why we set this up. We want you to immediately get value from it. We want you to be able to take these rates and champion it and go out there and say, oh, well, I use this pricing based off of hashtag pay me's recommendation. Brands can see that we're a very transparent tool. They can use it too if they want to. And it's much more of like a third-party credibility booster than just saying like, well, the rates are the rates. This is like how it's going to be. So you can break it down by what it is the job is costing when you send it over to the brands. I think brands are also becoming so much more savvy in terms of pricing and rates because as a creator or as a top manager that reps a creator, you need to be able to show analytics, data, and reasoning behind your pricing. 
You can't just call out a number. So having a platform, like you said, as like a third party perspective of, no, my metrics are here. This is what my rate should be. It's more of a reason for a brand to meet you at your rates or close to it. Exactly. And like some of the pieces of data, because like for a while we were collecting contracts for creators to submit for their data. But then I started getting some weird photos, not like anything dirty or anything, but like people submitted photos of like lamps or their cat. And I'm like, not going to work. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but this Wait, one, <laughs> oh yeah, it's very, like I would, I was like, you can just submit like a PDF. And so people would submit like PDF pictures of cats. And I'm like, this is such an internet problem to have right now. And I was like, no more contracts, only live data submissions. So one of the influencers who submitted data, they had over, I want to say they had like 750,000 followers on TikTok. And it was a very niche channel and a financial institution reached out to them to hire them. And they said they had like in the contract tiers of influence and how much to charge per post. And for their level of influencer, which was like three quarters of a million, they were like, max $150. And I was like, where did they get this price from? Because like, I haven't charged $150 since like 2017. And I have 25,000 followers on Instagram. Like, where did these numbers come from? So we want to make sure that people have like, a leg to stand on when they say like, this is where this number came from. It is. I mean, it's such a wild, wild west on both ends. Like I think the brands are still the brands and agencies who rep brands to do influencer partnerships are also so like, I don't know, like, I think this should work. I that's what that person charged. Like, I see $100 or like a, a PayPal of $25 to $25,000 for very similar asks for the same creator. So it's wild. So having a platform like yours, hopefully it's like both ends can use it. And we can come to this point where it's like, we're all understanding where the pricing is coming from and what it means. And I think too, it's like, I'm not sure if your platform accounts for this, but maybe like in a future rendition or edition, what brands are wanting right now from our creators is how many swipe ups or link clicks do you have on your stories? Like sure you have 10,000 stories, but if you only have like 10 link clicks on them, then it's like your content is not as valuable as influencer X with the same views and you know, 2000 link clicks. So is that like a metric you're getting in the platform or, you know, considering? Yeah, not yet, but it's something that we've had conversations with, with a lot of creators recently. They're like, does this account for conversion? And I'm like, no, not yet. But we haven't seen contracts come through where it was like, we're paying you based off of conversion metric of X. But it is interesting how brands are asking for that. I mean, me as a creator have also, I've received requests like, send me your most recent stories and show me the link clicks. And like, I've never had anyone ask me for my conversion rate data from an affiliate marketing perspective, but I'm sure that's coming. And honestly, all the time. And as a creator, like that's one of my big sells for getting paid partnerships with certain industries. So I'm like, look, I have a 7% conversion rate in home and decor. I mean, I've generated X amount of dollars. Like this is why it's really valuable to partner with me. I'm like this. So, I mean, I know that is going to be coming. So we're trying to figure out how we build that into the tool right now. Yeah. I think also going back to the aspect of use this as a metric. If you're a creator right now that isn't represented or just really kind of this is your first foray into influencer world, take this as a metric, but also use it alongside other metrics in your pitch to brands too. I think there needs to be a complete package, like you said, to sell yourself to brands and like secure these dream brand partnerships without management. Yeah, exactly. So it's like the art and science of like getting pay, right? So there's always going to be the science part, which is, you know, where we step in. 
but the art is really you being able to stand up for the values that we give you and say, well, this is why I am worth this month much. And even from a brand perspective, if they were to use this tool, it's like, yes, we can pay this much. And here is why. Like the why is always going to be a human aspect. And like, you can't automate that out with any sort of tool. Wait, I love that. I'm going to use that terminology. It's like, if a brand is like, why is she charging this? I'm like, sir, it's, it's art and science. (laughs) Get with the program. (laughs) That was our whole like spiel in compensation. I love that. It's like, we are the art and science of like pricing work. Like that's just, you need the human involvement with the tools. You can't just like say, this is why, because there's so much other qualitative that goes behind. Yeah, qualitative. That's also empowering too. Like you said, like we are true believers in that not everyone needs management to secure dream brand partnerships and like build a career out of this. And I think having a tool like this is really empowering for those who have so many questions about this world. And like we've said, you know, before and time and time again, it is a crazy, crazy world that like on both ends. Yeah. But we're actually building our next version is much more of like a smart CRM. So we do have about like 400 brand contacts on our platform right now. But our my co-founder, Steven, he is working on building like this whole matching system where you as a creator can go and find like your dream partner and you can request brands and we can help you reach out and contact all in one space. So that is something that we're working on right now to get out in a very large capacity. And it's very exciting. I was just going to ask what's next. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, very cool. And I mean, this was great. We're actually already up to time. So that is wild. But thank you for joining us. Where can people download the app and get started? Yeah, so right now we have a web app. You can find us at hashtag payme.com. Our base rate calculator is totally free. If you want to submit us data, you can get a free week onto our sponsor post calculator just to check it out and try it out. Our mobile app is launching in April. And I don't have an exact date for you just yet, but it will be live in the app store soon. So just follow us on hashtag pay me on all the socials, come hang out with us and we'll talk about our app release when we are ready and live. Cool. And where can people follow you? If you want to follow Home Decor and Lifestyle, you can find me at <laughs> Cynthia H. Ruff on Instagram or find me on my website is Darling Down South. So that was my Southern Lifestyle channel. Darling Down South. Oh my goodness. Are you Southern? I'm in Atlanta and I've been here the majority of my life. Oh, so okay. I've, I've embraced the Southern. I say y'all because it's very gender inclusive, but also shorter than you guys. And like all of my family is from the Northeast. So it's like I'll bounce between you guys and y'all. But I say mostly y'all now know it's more gender inclusive. Yeah, I love that. Well, this was great. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Had a blast. Nice to meet you guys. Bye.